0: Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. As a leadership coach, I work inside organizations and I focus on helping leaders achieve their whole person potential and meaningfully contribute to their organization's mission. With this podcast, I share leadership best practices, developmental approaches, and stories of exemplary leaders. Today's episode is about leadership, well being, and ethnicity. And for me, it was also a big lesson in humility. Renee Moorfield and Jane Cocking joined me in this episode to talk about the results of research conducted on the topic of well-being and ethnicity using the data from the be well lead well pulse assessment renee will explain more about the assessment so i'm not going to do that right now renee is the founder of wisdomworks and the creator of be well lead well pulse she's been a guest on the podcast before Uh, quite honestly it was a bit of a love fest And I will include links to another interview she did on another podcast, actually, where she goes into really great detail about the assessment itself, well-being, and the concept of thriving. Jane is a sought-after coach to executives across the globe and a very close colleague of Renee's and mine for over 20 years. Now, as we all know, this year, 2020, will likely go down as a year of huge challenges in just about every domain of social, political, and economic life. Renee's own distress caused her to get intensely curious about the data she had already collected through the assessment and what it might tell us about how leaders of different ethnicities assess their own well-being and sense of thriving. Now, given our membership in the dominant culture and by our, I mean mine, Renee's and Jane's as white women, we fully expected to find leaders identifying as white would score themselves higher in the dimensions of well-being than those identifying as black or Hispanic. The assumption was that black and Hispanic leaders had faced more stressors and would therefore have lower well-being scores. We were wrong and we were shocked. The data disproved our assumptions quite significantly. So Renee and Jane went to work interviewing a diverse group of leaders to help them make sense of the data. And that's what we're going to hear today. We joined the conversation as I have just asked Renee to set context and give us a high level overview of the Be Well, Lead Well, Pulse assessment.
1: Be Well, Lead, Well, Pulse, the purpose of it is to support leaders in operating from a foundation of well-being and generativity rather than reactivity and stress. And um, my sense is there's no better time than right now for us to be continually looking at the way that we are reacting from stress and being able to shift. To a place of inner well being. There's six dimensions in the Pulse framework. We call it a framework of thriving. So, thriving is the centerpiece. So, that's the first dimension. And then we have a dimension fuel, flow, wonder, wisdom, and thriving amplified. And that sixth dimension, thriving amplified, we purposefully designed to basically say it's not enough for someone who steps in the role of leadership to be working just on their own well being. Um, leaders create environments where everyone can thrive. Everyone has the opportunity to show up with their full greatness, their full potential. So underneath that framework and those six dimensions are 19 psychometrics that when leaders are invited to take the tool, they're exploring in, through survey questions, these 19 different psychometrics and getting feedback in the psychometrics and the six dimensions. So it's an opening for leaders to understand kind of their own state of well-being, their internal resourcefulness to meet the complexities and demands that they're facing.
0: And I want to add there too, because I've just completed three rounds of group assessments, which leadership teams can also do. And those insights have also been quite amazing because you also include some stress indicators for work and life at the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. And when you map those stress indicators to the well-being of the leaders on the team and you start seeing how those interact with each other, that opens up a whole new domain of, of questions around how are we doing in the environment that, that we're working in. So it's um, this assessment keeps getting deeper for me the more that I work with it.
1: That's great. We actually just did a uh another application of the assessment and that was a, with a group of brand managers in a global company. They want their brands to advocate for well-being in the lives of consumers. And so we got all the brand managers to take the assessment as well so that through an embodied approach, not an intellectual exercise, but a more embodied approach, they could start to make some decisions about their brands. So it's I'm I'm with you. We created a framework around the science of thriving, Um, but I'm even learning, even though I was part of creating it, I'm seeing so many new applications of it as we move forward, which is part of the conversation with you today.
0: Right, so let's get started. So you and I have been in conversations about what you wanted to do next, what you were curious about, and actually things that you were concerned about. So just start with that journey and and then bring us all in. And I know that Jane has really been instrumental in helping you collect to collect data and do some validation of the things that you were finding. So I'll just ask you to uh, get started. Just jump in there.
1: Sure. Well, I think this particular, um, the insights we're learning right now from the database and the assessment system are around leadership, well-being and ethnicity. and But we, we didn't start by looking at that. Um, we What happened is the video of George Floyd. I was watching TV and I see the video of an officer's knee on George Floyd's neck. And even now, as I say it, I can get really um, upset. I feel tightness in my chest. I felt a sense of deep heartbreak um, like a heartbreak of, I thought that we were better than this. I thought we had moved, we have, had evolved beyond these kinds of things. And right after that um, was a sense of shame for myself. Shame in what have I not been paying attention to and how is that my own privilege as someone who identifies as white to be able to not pay as much attention to this and honestly, after that video and all the things around it, because not only did social unrest, you know, erupt, but it's been erupting, you know, over the years and it, and continues to not just in the US, but in different countries around the world. Um, I kind of floundered. I started going into what I naturally do when I feel this sense of shame and I need to do something with that energy is I start doing a ton of research. So I got in the mode of, um i need to know more i need to know more about our history i need to know more about um, how i the, the the story i was taught of the, the creation of our country and what else can be true and just almost i don't want to say panicky but almost this frenetic sense of research and then i had a coaching session with myself <laughs> and I was like okay this is not going to help at all renee you all have spent the last few years building a platform that is, supports leaders in shifting from stress to well-being. Number one, use it yourself, like shift into a mode of yourself. And number two, the database is now between 900 and 1,000 leaders. So it's a unique database in that there's not another one out there that is looking at these 19 psychometrics with a leadership population. What could it tell you when you look at it from a a race perspective and we had never looked at that before. So that then helped me take that energy of shame to something that would be more productive. Um, So I, our science partner is the University of Colorado at Colorado Springs. And um, I called them and I said, can you do the statistical analysis for us and, and let me know if a leader identifies as black versus Hispanic, Versus Asian versus White, um, how do each one of those ethnicities, leaders from those ethnicities, show up in these different well-being metrics? And honestly, Leanne, I completely assumed, given our dominant culture, that um, leaders who identify as White would score up, score higher in all the well-being metrics. I just made that assumption. So when the data came back that that was not the case, I went, "Huh." And I sent the data back to UCCS and I said, okay, something must've been done wrong. Can you all do this analysis again? And they sent the exact same thing back and said, no, this is what's happening. Leaders who identify as black or Hispanic show higher scores, self-reported scores in the six dimensions or 19 psychometrics. Remember the 19 psychometrics feed the six dimensions, except for fuel. And in fuel, no matter what your ethnicity is, everyone's scoring about the same. So how we eat, how we move, how we uh, rest, how we breathe, everyone is scoring generally the same. But in all other areas, resilience, flourishing, mindfulness, appreciation and awe, learning and growing, a sense of wonder, wisdom, in all other areas, if you identify as Black as a leader or Hispanic as a leader, you're scoring higher.
0: I I was not expecting to hear that.
1: Me either. Me either. And because that was such a incredible slap in the face, one of those slaps in the face that goes, "Yep, your mental model is off. You need to start thinking differently." Because of that and because I identify as white, um, I decided I can't make up a story about this. I can't make up any kind of interpretation. I need to talk to people in my network that identify differently than me as far as their ethnicity and ask, share the data with them and ask them what, what to make of it. And so I started with a couple of people. Those people started introducing me to other people. Um, I sent a note out um, to a few people that were pivotal in in kind of reaching out to others. And around the fifth or sixth person, I realized, I think I'm in the middle of a research project. This was more about number one, turning shame into curiosity, you know, shame into exploration and learning something new. But now I think I'm in the middle of something bigger. And so I called Jane because Jane is just, we've worked together for so many decades and she's just brilliant at asking questions, being curious, bringing out, teasing out insights from others. So that's why I asked Jane to be a part.
0: Good. And I want to uh, ask Jane if you'll step in and say, hello, I I apologize. I didn't get your voice in here sooner.
2: That's okay. That's okay. I'm enjoying listening to both of you and know that, um, you know, when my voice is needed, it will be, it will be here. So I'm really thrilled to be here. This is the first podcast I have done as a, as a a speaker. I've listened to many. (laughs) Um, So this is exciting for me and uh, a little, a little nervous, but in a good way, in a good way. So well, I'm excited I, to be here.
0: We're just having a conversation. So Renee, what happened? And I'm, I'm curious, can you tell us how many people did you speak with? And I'm also wondering about the, the numbers within your database, if we can get a sense of you know, how many leaders are in the database and of that number, how many identify as uh, Black or Hispanic that you know that don't self-identify as white. So what what numbers are we looking at? And then when you went out and spoke with people, to help you understand who were you speaking to and how? I know that you brought Jane in because you had so many people. So it, you know, go into that a little bit as well.
1: Sure. So the database itself is between nine hundred, or the group that we were looking at was between nine hundred and a thousand people, and um, about a third of those. Identify as Black, Hispanic, or Asian, and the rest identify as white or other. Okay. We were specifically looking at not other, we were specifically looking at Black, Asian, Hispanic, or the identification as white. So when we got that feedback back and we decided we really need to get others' interpretation, we ended up interviewing 20 leaders, and um, six of those were Black executives. 5 of those were asian executives. Uh, 6 of those were hispanic executives, 2 of those were white, and 1 was other. So one that we interviewed basically said, you know, the truth is I don't really identify with any of those categories. I'm I'm, I'm brazilian and I I feel like I'm in somewhere else an another category. That yeah. I'm in- brazilian does not identify as hispanic. Right. <laughs> right. 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 And it was pretty incredible. Um, they came from all different industries, so we had everything from public relations to food and beverage, um, youth development, leadership development, organizational development, finance. Former Surgeon General of the U.S. who was willing to speak with us. So we really got um, an epidemiologist who's also a clinical psychologist, who's also a white male executive, spoke with us. So we got people who were. I would say across the board, and Jane can tell me if she agrees with this, we're so open to sharing their stories and so open to not only looking at the data, but saying, well, here's how I can see that. Here's my life experience and my leadership experience. And I would say across the board also would say, and I, I don't want to generalize my story. I don't want to speak for my whole ethnicity or my whole race, because at the end of the day, we all are unique but gave us, there were themes that came out of that, two or three themes that were pretty incredible. And we're still analyzing mm-hmm. all the interview
2: data. Mm-hmm. Jane, what would you uh, add? I, yeah, let me jump in here. Um, I think by sharing the background with these 20 people about Be Well, Lead Well, Pulse, and about sharing the, the, the findings um, of, the, you know, of the data of the 900 plus people, people were so willing to answer the question, "What do you make of this? you know what does this say to you and then the conversation took off. We almost didn't have to say much else because it meant a lot to people of different ethnicities and then then there were the consistent themes that evolved over those conversations so what you find I haven't
0: had the conversation with you, so I really don't know i'm uh, I'm eager to to hear what, what is continuing to shake out. And I think that it will continue to evolve.
2: But I'm, where, where are we now? Jane, do you want to you wanna start? Yeah, I'll jump in. So overwhelmingly, we heard from, you know, no matter the race of the person, that we are all living in, no surprise here, um, a, a white model of success and so you know given today's social unrest in this country we're hearing about that all the time on the news but these people talked about it in their own language as you know the white model of success being the dominant culture and that doesn't mean that that is good or bad it just means some people have advantages some people have have uh, disadvantages based on this white model of success and it I guess what it would, would look like if I had to, to sum it up is the white model is, you know, you, you have to be productive, you have to achieve in order to be successful. If you're not productive and successful, then maybe you're lazy. Acquiring wealth is important. The status of your job title or where you live or what car you drive, those sorts of things are the status and very much um, a me culture as opposed to a we culture. So, this is what all of us are in every day if we live in the Western world, whether we're aware of it or not. And
1: I'll add to what Jane is saying on that one, because what I didn't say about the demographics is primarily these leaders are coming from the US, Canada, and Western Europe. Yeah. So just to, to kind of even narrow the field even further, we know that what we're learning from this, and there's a couple of other themes we want to share, but we know what we're learning can't be generalized to, to the larger population. These are leaders, people who have been very successful in this dominant culture, in this white model of success that Jane just mentioned. And not only leaders in the database that have been successful, but the ones, the people that we spoke with, these 20. So in that dominant culture, um, we also heard that a lifetime of challenges for leaders who identify as Black or Hispanic have enabled them through the hardships they've had in this dominant culture, whether that's doors shut in their face, whether that's discrimination, whether that's microaggressions, whether, I mean, you can think of all the things we're hearing about in society, have enabled them to build a level of resilience Within themselves, coping mechanisms to just live in that kind of um, in, in this culture. It's also enabled them to build a sense of identity beyond that white dominant culture of success. So a vision beyond of themselves, a way of seeing themselves that goes beyond the, this culture. And it's also built within them a, a connection to their internal capacities for well-being that has allowed them to become and grow as leaders.
0: So so was- I, I have a question about all of this. So I'm hearing a lot of awareness that the people that you spoke to had an awareness that they were operating this way. Even as you, Jane, you were speaking about a white model of success I'm wondering, as you were speaking to people, did they see that as like separate from their model of success and they were playing into that? We know what we need to do to survive and to be successful in whatever culture. And I'm wondering now if people are aware that they've got their own view of success and then they've got... Another view of the, the dominant culture that if, if they want to be successful in this culture, then they have to do it that way. So, was that up for people?
2: I would say yes. From the people I spoke with, they were very aware of the, the dominant culture in which they lived. They were very aware of also uh, the things that helped them thrive. So, spirituality, as an example, you know, their faith. For uh, for especially for the the black people we talked to and somewhat the Hispanic people, faith was huge, and family and friendships and bringing people along with them, that they felt a responsibility to to do that um, because they wanted to better their lives and they you know it, it, within this culture, uh, they knew what it took to succeed in this culture and they knew personally. Um, sort of how they had to play along to get along. Mm-hmm.
1: I would agree. I would agree. I heard the same thing, which was, um, I know what I need to do to succeed in this particular culture, but I also know that I am not this culture. Like I don't define my success and my well being mm-hmm. necessarily about this but this culture. And I learned through my life that I need to define myself in a bigger way. So that kind of the shorthand version of that for me would be in a a more individualistic culture or the dominant culture Mm -hmm. that the Western world is in, which is more individualistic, would be I succeed when I succeed. I succeed when I, you know, this is about me or this is about my team or this is about my organization, but it's more about me, this me quality versus what we were hearing, especially from the leaders who are Black or Hispanic, was I succeed when we succeed. So the way I'm defining, yes, I know what I've got to do to operate in this dominant culture, but I'm going to do it in a different way. And the way I define success personally is that I succeed when we succeed. So part of my job is to amplify the well-being, the effectiveness, the success of the people around me. And in particular, to help bring along or lift up um, my ethnicity. It was really fascinating.
0: It is fascinating because even as I'm listening to you, I'm remembering that the people in your database are leaders. And so um, it's not, quote, the general population. You know, people that are taking this assessment have, quote, achieved Uh, a certain level of success to be in an organization or wherever they are to even have access to the assessment in general, because most of the times people are gaining access through their work in some way. And they're not typically sharing the assessment with the entire organization, but with a particular slice. And then you're having conversations with that same slice and so you're really speaking to some values and and meaning making of a, a particular group of people or slice of the population in the U.S.
1: and Canada and, and West, Canada mm-hmm. and Western Europe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I just have to keep reminding myself of the of the population that we're talking about mm-hmm. here right. as well.
1: These are people that are already successful in the domin- in this dominant culture mm-hmm. you are describing. Yeah. And they are able to reflect on what enabled them to be successful. And for the leaders who are identify as Black or Hispanic, the things that Jane mentioned, this sense of resilience and well-being at a very young age through their faith, through maternal influence, we heard that a lot, through core messages like, yep, discrimination is hard and you can be better than that. Um, or core messages like, you can do this, you can be anything you want, that they consistently heard Mm -hmm. at a young age through hardships. It reminds me of um, uh, the um, adult psychologist, Robert Keegan, and Leanne, I know you know Mm a lot of work, that principle, under stress, growth occurs, that idea, and we know it doesn't always happen. But in these, the situation of these people we were talking to, they would say, yeah, the reason I got to where I am as an executive is because I drew from all of those experiences and that me knowing who I am and what creates well-being for me enabled me to become and grow as a leader, which was different, by the way, than leaders who identify as white or Asian. So leaders who identify as white or Asian, for them the white dominant model of success or this dominant culture, there's already an expectation that you're going to be a leader. You're, you need to achieve more money, more status, more wealth. So for them, it was like, well, of course, this is a natural path. I'm not even questioning this path. And it doesn't mean by the way that they didn't have a strong faith or maternal good core messages or maternal influence, all the things we just described, but they didn't talk about those things as the things that helped them become a leader, they would say, no, the leadership was the next thing that I was going to do, because it totally fits the model that I'm in, the culture that I'm in. And it wasn't, for them, it wasn't until some breakdown, so some point in life where there was a major physical health issue or an existential issue. like. Is this really all there is? Am I really using my life energy in a way that's meaningful? Have I lost relationships with my children? Did I just miss out on their childhood? You know, those kinds of questions, when that came up, it was when those that kind of break apart happened that then well-being became questions that they were asking themselves, the questions Mm -hmm. of well-being. So that's very different.
0: Yes, and I'm thinking of Jim Collins, Level Five leadership and the black box of leadership that we don't really know how people get to that level five or beyond it happens uh, the story goes Renee, as you were saying, some illness or existential crisis or whatever that is. are you saying that in the black and Hispanic communities that the black box might be occurring all the time? I mean I didn't hear you say that, but I'm wondering if those challenges are happening almost consistently and constantly for people who are not part of the dominant culture?
1: Well, again, I think we need to do a lot more thinking about this, and we can have a lot more interviews and a lot more study. So right now we're sharing with you some core insights, so I don't want to say anything black and white at all. But I would say that, at least with the people we spoke with, In fact, one I'm thinking about right now that basically said everything I know as a leader, and this person, again, was one of the Surgeon Generals of the U.S., um, high ranking in the military. I mean, just so many. When you talk about our dominant culture, anyone would look at his resume and go, whoa, 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 wow, you know, just such an achiever. And he basically said to me, Renee, I realized that through this conversation, I realized that everything I really learned about leadership that I needed to know, I learned from my mother and I learned from the hardships I, that I experienced growing up and her ability to help me take that hardship and, um, make another, make meaning out of it in a way that helped me move forward and grow. So I think, you know, he didn't do it alone, he had this person in his life and a grandmother. He also talked about his grandmother mm-hmm. as well, but he had these people in his life that helped with that meaning-making system and supported growth. So yes, yes, I think that what some of the qualities we're looking at for higher-order conscious leadership, we can be as executive coaches, as leaders ourselves. We can be help help people draw from some of these early experiences and draw that forward as wisdom they already have, rather than something that needs to be taught necessarily for some people. And for other people, maybe this will be whole new thought. This, This idea of serving something greater than yourself may actually be a brand new thought for certain groups of people. So I don't know if that answers your question. Well,
0: well, but. I just I'm just noticing that my mind is just going crazy with uh, all of uh, questions, you know, and wondering, mm-hmm. including, and I love, uh, and this I think fits into the the wonder element or of the be well lead well model, is what you thought gets turned on its head, and I am really wondering about. People grew up in this culture, but not part of the dominant culture. The capabilities that get built naturally because of that, mm-hmm. that someone like me, who was part of the dominant culture, didn't necessarily grow up with, and I, and I don't have that frame of reference.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We all have our own hardships, but mine are different.
1: To, exactly right.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Huh. And yours probably fit uh, the hardships that um, some of us as white people, I think we are familiar with those hardships. So we're, to some extent, not as conscious of them collectively, but they're, they're there.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: know? And we talk about them with each other. But do we talk about them with other races about, Mm -hmm. you know, what's your experience? What's my experience? You know, what are the hardships I've had? How are they similar or different than yours? And that was what we got from a lot of these conversations was, you know, we're so different and we're so similar.
0: Mm -hmm. So what else did you find? So I just want to recap here. So resilience, that area, and then also a, a different version of success. And there is definitely a white version of success that, that may be different than other ethnicities. Any other big findings from the research? or Not that that isn't enough, but I want to make sure that we get to talk about all of those.
1: This is maybe a restatement of something that we've talked about, but I just want to pull it out a little bit. And that is, if we have a definition of well-being or a definition of thriving as the ability to bring a sense of inner Internal resourcefulness to the challenges and demands and complexities that we're dealing with in life. The the leaders who identified as black or Hispanic would have said, or as a theme across them, basically said, I was building. It, it's as if life helped me build that internal resourcefulness because I was in the middle of complexities and demands and challenges. So I was building that internal resourcefulness, and that then was a platform. For me, when I when I became a leader, that was now just a title or a role to build, to 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 put place right on that platform so that it, that I could operate effectively, and that's pretty exciting. Again, I'm going back to, you know, to support people no matter their ethnicity, connecting with the challenges, the hardships, and the aspirations they've had. And how that is supporting them and already being internally resourceful, yeah. and already being well and bring that forward, I think is an exciting way to do this kind of work to develop leaders.
0: And Renee, I would say this is one of my biggest appreciations for you and your work is your generosity and looking at things this way. Mm-hmm. That you your tendency is to look at, what we've already done, we've. You're here, you know. We're 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 here. We've already been through a lot. What were those characteristics? What are our inner strengths that brought us where we are? We all have that. We're not we're not broken.
1: Yeah. Well, you're. Thank you. I mean, I I believe that. Um, it's interesting because one of the people I interviewed that you're, you're just making me think of said. What I would love everyone to know, what I, what I believe about myself, is that I am fully human and humane. Hmm. And um, as a Black executive, when I operate in the world, I often don't get treated as fully human. I get treated as an asset or sort of marginalized in my voice. or But I don't let myself believe what others believe however they see me. I continue to know myself. As fully human and humane. And I, I believe that the way forward for all of us is for me to be so clear about how, who I am internally and continue to treat others that way, that that's where change really starts to occur. So, you know, I, I, I really resonated with what he was saying. You know, how do we con- treat each other with a sense of being fully human, with a sense of dignity? and worth that we all are naturally made of like, can we, can we learn how to start there? And that's, that was the point. Part of the point of Be a Will well Pulse is to bring up those kinds of conversations
0: mm-hmm. with leaders. That feels like a practice, uh, a good ongoing practice, which then takes me to the next part of the conversation that I wanted to ask you about is Moving forward, what can each of us do in our lives to continue to bring more well-being to ourselves and to the world?
2: So we had a great conversation about that yesterday in preparation for talking with you today. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, good. Um, we did. And we I think we learned things about each other um, because the, the number one thing we came up with was... Um, to really get curious about our own history. What is the story of our ethnicity? You know, where, where I came from as a young girl born after World War II in England and did not see one black person that I recall till I was age nine in hospital Went And, you know, what does that say about me at the schools I went to, the places that I lived, the places that I've worked as an adult, the experiences that I've had um, moving to the United States at, at age 19 in Atlanta in the South was very, very different culture. And so being curious about what does not just about being part of the dominant culture, but what does that say about me? How have I interpreted that? what has that given me that I don't even know, Mm -hmm. you know, and what has that not given me that I don't even know. And so, um, you know, when Renee was saying earlier in the interview, how she, you know, felt shame and and then turned that into really curiosity, I identify so much with that Mm -hmm. about something different has switched on with us that is a little shameful to say, you know, well, why wasn't that switched on, you know, in my case, you know, 50, 60 years ago, I think it was on one level, but this is a whole new level of curiosity about what it means. So that would be one of
1: the, bi- one of the biggies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really looking at um, your own history, I so appreciated every interview I did. The, the people I was talking to knew a lot. So when you talked about a level of self-awareness, Mm-hmm. I do think we somehow attracted in these inter- interview process some really self-aware people and they knew a lot about their own history and especially the people I talked to who identified as black or hispanic knew a lot about their own history their story their um they had a connection for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years back and I realized that um as close as my family actually is there isn't that story we all tell ourselves in the family about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And yet, all of that, all of our history is moving through all of us right now. It lives in all of us. And so, how is that shaping how we think about leadership? How is that empowering our well being? How is it limiting what we think when it comes to well being? To me this this would be a huge a wonderful exploration for anyone to have personally for myself i started after like the second or third interview i got so excited about thinking about my cajun roots like what is the story of the cajun people and i knew one like very high level story but when i started really researching i was like i had no idea they were refugees And I had no idea this is why they were given that land in Louisiana, sort of as the the swamp land. And I had no idea they were thought of as very uneducated and very impoverished and very, and yet now we know how resourceful they were. I mean, I felt so proud just doing the research. So there's something about connecting backwards Mm -hmm. to see the resilience Mm -hmm. that's behind all of us and the strength that's behind all of us and the practices, the well being practices. People have had not just coping strategies, coping with stress, but practices for flourishing since people were people. So what are those that are already embodied, already Mm. in ourselves? And I think there's a lot each of us can learn individually and collectively when we tap back into that. So that would be one practice. The second that hits me that Jane and I talked about yesterday. And again, we've got lots more research to do and lots more analysis to do on this land. But as a leader in an organization, especially now with um, the COVID pandemic and with the social unrest, as much suffering as all of that is creating, we are also getting a massive opportunity to um, rethink, reset our priorities as organizations. So because we're we're being forced to relook at how we do work, and when I think about if if we say that most organizations are probably resting on a dominant culture, an internal operating system that's built on this dominant culture of acquiring wealth, productivity, human beings are more assets rather than human beings mm. so if if this is potentially true, and it 's probably not true for every organization. Being able to really take a look at that and saying, is this who we wanna be as an organization? What is our greater purpose? Um, are we? Do we see our relationship of our organization and in the bigger world, in society, in community? Are we really taking a look at that, that we, like uplifting all boats? Um, are we really allowing people to bring their whole selves, their whole potential? Are we creating environments where someone can show up fully with their wisdom at work. I mean, these are the kinds of bigger questions that executives of organizations, leaders of teams can start to really look at.
0: Um, and er, er, all every question that you were just asking now, I can imagine asking individually as well. So I was tracking with you and I thought I could be asking all of those questions as an individual Absolutely. as well. Absolutely,
1: and, and honestly for it to have, for those questions to have any stickiness At an organizational level we would have to ask it individually as well because to shift to redefine our models of success so that they include well-being in this larger way that we've been talking about it will require us as as leaders and people to also do the work like do that work Mm -hmm. transformation does not just occur at an organizational level Organizations are as effective as the consciousness of their leaders. So to do the work at the organizational level, it has got to to, to happen at every level, mm-hmm. including personal transformation. So yeah. that's the second practice that hits us, and that's a biggie. And I mean, yeah. that, the conscious leadership, conscious business movement that you are so part of is all about that. Um, you know, so this is, this is a movement that I think is underway, but – um, we just think it can be more significant.
0: Mm-hmm. Was there a third one or we've got two?
2: I think we combined huge. a couple together. Yeah. yeah. I think we yeah. combined a couple together. And as I was listening to Renee, uh, a thought came to mind, which is as individuals who can be leaders or not, sometimes we don't know that we're in a culture. No, or that our ethnicity is playing out because we're we're in it. And I was struck by one of the interviews that I did with a woman who was originally from Cameroon who came to the United States as a teenager and worked here for many years. And she told me, she said, Jane, I did not know I was black till I came to America. Hmm. I got goosebumps when she said that because she lived in, you know, in Cameroon with a dominant black culture, that it was such an awakening for her. Since that time, she then went back to work in Ghana for five years. And people that came to visit her, her friends from the States that came to visit her while she was working in Ghana, said to her, oh, my God, now that I'm here, I can stop being black. So I think that, and I'm not saying that just to talk about the black culture, because I can also remember myself at age 13 going to France to stay with a French family. Yes, we're all white, but we're very different. And remembering to myself, my my pen pal and I would have arguments about this product is English. No, it's French. No, it's English. No, it's French. And so you don't really have a sense of what is part of your culture until you're separated from your culture. Mm. And so I think, you know, that is where the being cur- being curious is about. You know, if you're just gonna argue about what's French and English and not about what's under that, why is that so important for me to argue about anyway? I think we really miss the boat as human beings about mm-hmm. the potential to learn more about ourselves and more about each other and how we can thrive together. Because that you know, if you come from the abundance mentality, there is more than enough in the world for us all to thrive and help each other thrive.
0: Yes, and I'm I'm just noticing how this conversation has just left me feeling open and hopeful. I I just feel open and curious right now, and really energized and curious too about what will continue to unfold in these conversations and in the world in general, because we are in the middle of a lot of change right now, reckoning new awarenesses. This conversation has been a huge awareness for me around just the assumptions that I make, uh, that I live, and we all do. We can't not Mm -hmm. live with assumptions. We just need to be questioning and getting curious about our assumptions and the assumptions that. Uh, that we're working with as well. So I want to thank you both for the the work that you did. And I can just imagine it's going to keep rolling out and producing more wonder and awe for those of us who are in those conversations. So thank you both so much.
1: Well, thank, thank you. Thanks for yeah, that. Thank you. Thanks for doing your podcast. I, I told Jane yesterday, I said, it's, it's actually one of my favorite podcasts. You're brilliant at bringing out the best in people through your podcast. And um, I'm just really enjoying learning from them.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Rise Leaders Radio on your preferred podcast platform. Your ratings, reviews, and shares are also really appreciated. You can also visit rise-leaders.com for all the resources we talked about today and to work with me if you're committed to making your unique and positive impact. Thank you for listening and remember: elevate your part of the world.